0: In today's show, we're previewing the Memphis Grizzlies. Michael Bolton? Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's
1: time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.
0: Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia and you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble and on Instagram at LockedOnFantasyBasketball. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline is where the game starts. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. Earlier today, I did a Dynasty Mock Draft video. It's a long one, video, show, audio, whatever. You can find it on both platforms. Um, 12-team, 20-round Dynasty Mock Draft, so you can go check that out. Now, today, we're going to be talking about the Memphis Grizzlies. So, Warnie? Let's get it on, Gilly. (laughs) All right, so let's bring in a new host who will be joining the Locked On Grizzlies show very, very soon because we unfortunately had to say goodbye to Sean Coleman, who's a favorite here and a favorite across the Locked On Network, but this guy is definitely going to be able to fill those shoes really, really easily. Joe Malinax is here to talk Memphis Grizzlies with me. Joe, hello, how are you?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited and I agree. I'm a big Sean Coleman fan myself. He's a fantastic guy and he did remarkable work. I uh, was locked on. He worked with me over at grizzlybearblues.com, which was or is the SP Nation site for the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, I was the site manager there for five years, and Sean worked on my staff, and he's amazing. And I know he loved locked on. I know that he's moving on to different ways of distributing his time. So, me, I have all sorts of free time now because I'm not running that blog anymore. So, it just kind of naturally fit. Look, I, I, people have to look at my face more, but Uh, Other than that, you know, things are going well for people if they uh, like my Grizzlies takes, I suppose.
0: You may have seen Joe stuff around the internet for a long time at Grizzly Bear Blues, and he's constantly tweeting about the Grizzlies. So he's going to have plenty (laughs) plenty of information for us here on this Memphis team. And we're going to start off um, all of these shows, Joe, just by going through what happened with this team in the offseason, the comings and goings of the squad. And there's quite a bit of change here, just a bunch of new rookies coming in. Jake LaRavia. David Roddy, Kennedy Chandler, Vince Williams Jr., Kenny Lofton Jr. are two-way. Danny Green is still somehow on this roster, although we don't, <laughs> we, we, don't we don't expect him to play, and they still need to make a roster cut. Do you think they're going to buy Green out, or they're just going to waive him, or they're going to trade him, because someone needs to go off this roster still? Maybe. I think the answer is maybe. I do believe that they see some
1: value in him if it comes to a postseason and having a veteran presence. That Maybe he doesn't play a ton, but just having... You know, Danny Green has played a lot of important basketball in his career, and he would benefit a team that somehow got younger in the offseason. As you mentioned, Melton and Anderson uh, are no longer part of the roster. And while they were back-end rotation guys, the top eight for Memphis, at least in terms of their long-term planning, still is in place, a lot of what the Grizzlies did offensively was built around transition defense, right? Creating opportunities off of steals and blocks, getting out on the run, giving John Morant and others chances to score the basketball in the transition game. The fact that those guys are gone, it's going to make this team really interesting to watch. I think that Danny Green is the easiest one. He has a contract that's partially guaranteed, so that would even save Memphis some money in the long run if they let him go. uh, I think it's January they moved it up to. Obviously, they need to make a decision before that. But the good news is Vince William Jr. and Kenny Lofton Jr. are on two-way contracts, so those guys will be spending most of their time, or a majority of their time, with the Memphis Hustle anyway. Uh, The ones that are really going to be the key parts of what you replace, in air quotes, Kyle Anderson and DeAnthony Melton with, are Laravia and Roddy. And I do think that those two are the ones to watch as we approach the season not just in terms of filling rotation roles, but who eventually starts with Jaron Jackson Jr., most folks assume missing the start of the season, at least due to his uh, foot injury.
0: Yeah, we've got uh, we've got some interesting things coming up with that. As you mentioned, just to, to round it out, D'Anthony Melton is gone, Kyle Anderson's gone, as is Jarrett Culver, Eve Ponds, and Tyrell Terry. Not that those last three matter at all, but the other two were key, key bench pieces on a, on a team that had a really strong bench. And now you've mentioned it already, so let's get into it. Let's talk injuries. Jaron Jackson has a issue with his foot surgery on a foot due to a stress fracture. There was timeframes between three to six months, and I know every single fantasy manager has absolute PTSD from the Jaron Jackson injury news with his meniscus tear when it's like, oh, maybe December, maybe MLK Day, maybe February, maybe March, any right. minute now, and then he never came back. So, yeah, the three to six months, everyone's going, all right, so let's just bank on six to eight months, really. It's a big man, a seven footer with a broken foot. I'm never going to go on the early side of that time frame. I'm going to expect January and maybe even later. What is the word from someone you know, that's talking about the Grizzlies, thinking about the Grizzlies in around the Grizzlies as to when Jaron is back. Do you have optimism or have you also been burnt too much by that in the past?
1: I'm more optimistic than I usually am. Okay. And that's different. Uh, as you know, I know you followed me for a while and, and we've talked basketball before. Um, Usually, the team is very secretive about how these injuries very. work. And you mentioned the issue with the meniscus. That's a great example of that. So your hesitance and your doubt is understood. However, this time they're doing the exact opposite of that. They've given a direct time frame. They've said not to worry multiple times. they They are communicating this particular injury differently. Than they have in the past. Could it morph into the scenario that you just laid out? That's similar to his meniscus. Absolutely, I think that uh, your your skepticism is warranted. But it is important to note that this is a bit different than the meniscus in terms of their lines of communication. They've been more direct and more specific about this than they normally
0: are. Well, let me throw this out at you then in regard to that they have they did throw that out there but why why would be different with this one when when ja Morant hurt his knee multiple times last season uh, it's a knee sprain oh, what kind of sprain it uh, doesn't matter we're not going to tell you um, Mike Conley a few years ago uh, Achilles soreness what is it Ah, don't worry about it we'll figure it out later um Jaron Jackson, meniscus, yeah, sure. Maybe sometime he'll back. Like, what's the difference here when every other incidence of injury, they're just like, ah, nah, we'll figure it out later on, guys. We'll find out when we do. Don't worry, we'll let you know. And they've never told us anything about any injury with any player ever, apart from this one. Why is it different?
1: The specifics of it. Like I said, they were very specific about the type of foot break it was. It, they have said repeatedly that it's the best kind of this that it could be uh, in terms of the type of fracture, the type of injury that Jaron sustained. Jaron doesn't seem concerned. They've let him talk about it more directly on social media than they usually do. Uh, he did an Instagram Live where he just like insisted that his foot was fine. I, I Again, I would not expect him to be there for the start. Given the way that the team has communicated this, if he doesn't play before 2023, I would be surprised. I am thinking he's out for the first month of the season, mid to late October through November, and then they start trying to integrate him early December. That would be my prediction for your uh, your fantasy listeners out there. Well, the- I don't see this being a long-term issue.
0: They have burnt me too many times for me to trust. I understand. In, in any you of that. have lots of evidence. There is. Yeah, e- exactly. There is plenty of evidence of like, that. Nah, don't worry. He'll be back soon. So I'm just going to say I'm not going to draft Jaron Jackson because I am I expect the worst. If it proves me wrong and he gets back earlier, absolutely fantastic. I'm just not going to take that risk with him. We talked about Danny Green as well, who tore his ACL in like May or June. So again, regular season is just not going to happen for him. But what about Ja Morant, who did suffer multiple knee issues last season? He missed that time, mm-hmm. I think, around Christmas where it was, again, they didn't tell us what the injury was, and he came back and then missed time during the playoffs. He's had issues with his back in the past as well. Is there any concern about those multiple knee injuries from last season? Because whenever I bring it up, I go, hey, Jump Rant's getting injured a lot here. A lot of Grizzlies people jump down my throat. Oh, they're all unrelated. It's got nothing to do with each other. There's absolutely no risk for the future. Um, right. How do you view that, the multiple knee injuries, the multiple impact type injuries that Ja has sustained?
1: I would say don't listen to what's being said. Look at what the team is doing. Like signing Tyus Jones to a two-year $30 million contract to be the backup point guard. Uh, When you say that out loud, it sounds, in my opinion, foolish. Uh, You have a backup point guard that you are paying $15 million a year and you just signed Ja Morant to a max extension. So obviously not this coming year, but the following year, they're going to have roughly forty-five to fifty million dollars tied up. Uh, I have to look at Jaw's exact first-year number. You have a lot of money tied up in the point guard position across two dudes, the, and that, again, to me, I don't know that makes the most sense in terms of team building. But there's no denying that Tyus Jones is one of the, if not the, best backup point guard in the NBA. And if you have a, a ma- or an amazing athlete to flies through the air and seems to levitate when he does so and he'll never come down and he does all this phenomenal things on the court extremely important to your offense but he has shown a tendency to miss 15 to 20 games if your hope is to be a playoff team it makes sense to have a solid handcuff so I'm going to use football fantasy football lingo uh going to like a running back if you know a running back might get hurt you got to handcuff him I would if I'm going to dr- invest in Ja Morant at some point I would be adding Tyus Jones to my team as well because the Grizzlies plan on him playing and not just by Jaws side in some two point guard lineups at this stage of the game watching Morant play the game seeing his uh how things have played out these last couple of seasons you got to bank on Ja missing some time and Tyus has proven that he can fill in admirably.
0: they also signed Kennedy Chandler to three guaranteed years as a second round pick with a team option on top of that so they've got the potential four guaranteed years on his contract and that doesn't always happen it Happens for some second rounders but sometimes there's non-guarantees in there and there wasn't at least in those first three years for Kennedy Chandler before we talk more Grizzlies are going to talk about Bet Online. it is of course your number one source and the fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your betting needs you can find reviews and news of every league Major League Baseball the NFL which is back now NBA, NHL combat sports e-sports even golf BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all of your sports wagering information from live in-game betting scores and podcasts us, they have you covered. You can go check out the preseason action happening in a couple of days' time. Tennessee, Baltimore. That's uh, Tennessee. Local local for you there, Joe. Um, they're mm-hmm. three-and-a-half-point underdogs. How much do you care about week one NFL preseason games?
1: <laughs> Not at all.
0: That is the correct answer. But if you did want to have a look at that, BetOnline has all of the odds over on their website. Head to BetOnline today. Use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. BetOnline is where the game starts. All right, Joe, here is where we go into your projected starting five. And I asked you to do this with the assumption that Jaron Jackson wouldn't be there at least for the first month, right. maybe three months of the season, whatever it is. So here is, and you, this actually stunned me. This is not what I would have expected the starting five. So tell me about your projected starting five for the Memphis Grizzlies without Jaron Jackson.
1: Well, I have John Morant and Desmond Bain as the starting backcourt, mm-hmm. right? Because you could argue that's one of the best backcourts in the entire nba Uh, they are remarkably well fitted alongside one another they do a lot of things well bane with his ability to create off the dribble fly by threes jaw's jaw i think dylan brooks returning people kind of forget that he was out for most of last season and he's a pretty important cog to that machine it's also a contract year for dylan brooks so be very afraid of contract year dylan brooks or maybe be excited for it Uh, Maybe if your league doesn't care about field goal percentages, I'm I'm sure his numbers will improve. Um, And and then I have, as the guy replacing Jaron Jackson Jr., the rookie, Jake LaRavia. Now, the reason I have that selection and I I have him as that guy who's going to be the guy to replace Jaron is because he's the one who most closely mimics what matters most in terms of Jaron's offensive game. Defensively, LaRavia is kind of like the Kyle Anderson replacement, but he's probably not as sound defensively on that end yet, right? He's a 6'9", 230-pound combo forward. What he is going to be able to do is shoot the three. He was a career 37% shooter in college in 88 games, uh, according to uh, sportsreference.com. He did a remarkable job as a scorer from the perimeter, extremely efficient. A lot of people have compared him to a bigger John Conjar, who we'll talk more about here in a moment, I think. Uh, He is capable of spacing the floor. And when you look at – I'm guessing you would have assumed Brandon Clark would have been that starter. When you look at Clark and Adams, they both are similar players in terms of their rim runners. Adams doesn't even need as much look offensively as a Clark does but you want to create as much space for your superstar point guard as possible to operate with as he maneuvers in the paint. Jaron Jackson Jr. has not been very efficient from three the last couple of years. That's something the Grizzlies fans also don't want to talk about. But the idea of Jaron, the willingness to shoot, I hate using this terminology, but the gravity of Jaron Jackson Jr. is much more palpable out on the perimeter when you're dealing with him as opposed to Brandon Clark. Jake Laravia has a tremendous stroke. He struggled in summer league. I'm not disputing that. He didn't look great. But you talk to coaches, you hear what things are being said from coaches coming out of summer league, you watch the, you know, the clips from practices, you see his shooting form. That matters more than his individual performance in five random games in Las Vegas. I think he's going to be the starter because he provides the greatest opportunity offensively for them to be successful. You're not going to be able to replicate what Jaron does defensively. Clark is not long enough. He doesn't have the size. He has the athleticism on the perimeter, but he's not going to be able to be that rim protector. Don't even bother. See if you can improve, or maybe not improve, but at
0: least maintain
1: what makes your offense offense strong with LaRavia
0: as that starting point. I didn't really even consider LaRavia, to be honest, as a starting option, but he does have that sort of fit of what Kyle Anderson will do in Kyle a little Look at Mike do.
1: Miller to
0: him. Yep, I, I can see that. But yeah, when we look at a 10-man rotation without Jaron Jackson, that leaves someone out who I would have had in my 10-man rotation. I'll go through your bench guys here. We've got similar guys, Jones, John Concha, Zio Williams, Brandon Clark, Xavier Tillman. I would had those five guys. But I well, I had Clark starting when I did mine. But I also had Santi Aldama coming in to be a backup big man there. I was impressed with what he did in Summer League. I don't think you could argue that he was significantly more impressive than Laravia in Summer League. Um, he's got that extra year of experience. Is sure. is there, like, Aldama, maybe he can shoot. Is there a chance he could slide in and start there and provide a little bit more size than what Laravia does at the four? Or you just don't think that he is in that position to be in that rotation early on?
1: I think Aldama can do it. I'm not going to say he can't. I think that their front court is pretty deep, even with Jaron out. And Mm -hmm. this is one of the deepest teams in the NBA that, you know, they have Jaws, the superstar. I think it's fair to say Desmond Bain is a star at this point, Uh, but beyond those guys, you know, they just have a lot of dudes that can play basketball well. So is it possible that Santee Aldama beats out LaRavia? Yeah, absolutely. Is it possible that xavier tillman i mean xavier tillman didn't play a ton
0: no he, he last was, season he was, yeah, rotation
1: right so santi aldama could easily slide into that spot and be that guy i am just giving who i would like to see based off of what they're able to do in terms of versatility santi aldama theoretically can be a versatile player on both sides of the floor i don't know that we've seen it consistently and you're right that he dominated summer league but again those are five or six random yeah, games exactly. in Las Vegas. I try to not put too much stock in that. You're you're burned by the Grizzlies injury report. I'm burned by thinking Josh Selby was yes. going to be a really good NBA player because <laughs> uh, of what he did at Summer League. Like He looked like Kobe Bryant and Allen Iverson had a baby uh, at Summer League. So uh, I'm not as in love with Santi or Santi after what he did in Summer League. But you're exactly right in that could he leapfrog – Tillman, could he leapfrog Laravia? Yeah, I think he could. Uh, It's what I am seeing in terms of what Laravia could be in terms of his shooting stroke in particular. And then I've seen Clark and Tillman have some success defensively. They can kind of make guys right on the back end as they work in these dudes into
0: the rotation Let's have a look at a bunch of guys who are under the age of 22 on this roster. We've talked about a few of them already. Aldama LaRavia, there's David Roddy, Kennedy Chandler, Vince Williams Jr. and Kenny Lofton Jr. But Zaire Williams, the highest draft pedigree out of these guys, picked 10th last season, was chucked into the rotation and started probably ahead of expectations of even most Grizzlies fans. Um, I thought he really started to come on quite strongly towards the end of the season as well. Um, We can talk about who's replacing Jaron as the starter, but I I would guess that the guy who takes Jaron's almost minutes load while he's out, yes, it might be LaRavia or Aldama or Clark or whatever starting, but they might go extra small and give Zaire 29 minutes a night or 28 minutes a night and try and readjust those rotations as he becomes an important player off the bench for them. Do you see that as being a likely scenario?
1: Absolutely. I think Zaire Williams long-term is going to replace Dylan Brooks. Uh, I'm not convinced they're going to.
0: I would re-sign Dylan Brooks,
1: and that's something that uh, we talked about on my first episode of Locked on Grizzlies as a guest. I haven't hosted yet, but the announcement of me taking over, I talked about how Dylan Brooks would be my number one priority because I think if you are trying to be a contending team, you need a guy who can both create his own shot and defend at a high level. And Dylan Brooks does both of those things, and he does them well. He doesn't do them consistently necessarily, especially offensively, uh, but he is capable of doing them. Zion Williams is too. And I am intrigued by what he can do physically. I see him, if they don't believe in Dylan sliding into that starting three spot as Dylan Brooks, you know, whether it's by trade at the trade deadline, if things are going a little bit haywire, or whether it's free agency, I could see Williams becoming that starter within the next, you know, 12 to 15 months, if not sooner. But As a sixth man, I think he's given more of an opportunity to create off the dribble, again, trying to develop that skill set. He was on the ball more in Summer League. That's one of the things that the Grizzlies do focus on in Summer League is development. Uh, Desmond Dane played a lot of point guard in Summer League last year, and that really helped him with his off-the-ball creativity offensively. I think the same will happen for Zaire, but you got to remember Zaire is young. The focus on youth is a great title for this. He is 20, I want to say, maybe 21, that's and he is, his frame is still developing. You know, People have made a lot of jokes about the massive container of water that they make him drink on the sidelines during games, and you know, he has a plan in place to gain weight, to get stronger. They have their eyes on the long game here, the Memphis Grizzlies do, even though they were the second-best team in the league record-wise, even though they've got a superstar in John Morant, even though they pushed the Warriors, because they did push the Warriors. That's a true thing to say the eventual NBA champions, Zach Kleiman, the GM of the Grizzlies, is not taking that as it's time to push in my chips. He's sticking to the plan. And a team that was already super young just got younger. You usually don't see that from a
0: team that theoretically is an NBA finals contender. He's about to turn 21 in a month or two. So yeah, he he is still 20. He's not the youngest player on this roster. That is uh, Kennedy Chandler. And then there's Kenny Mm -hmm. Lofton, David Roddy, who are what is David? No, sorry, David Roddy's older. Ken, Kenny Lofton is younger as well, but he's the third, fourth. Sorry, Laravia is like a month younger, fourth youngest player on this roster um, currently. All right, Joe, who is a breakout candidate on this team?
1: Zaire Williams. I, I think Zaire Williams, we just talked about him a little bit. He's going to get a lot of opportunity, even when Jaron returns. I think he's going to be the guy that's that sixth man. You said 29 minutes a night, that might be a little high. 26 ish. Again, you're kind of, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul, so to speak, in terms of wh- where those minutes are going. But they clearly value Zaire. I don't know that they would have done what they did last year in terms of throwing. He was guarding Steph Curry in the regular season and in the playoffs. He was a key cog of that rotation, especially when Dylan Brooks was out. I don't know that they don't make that investment and then say, "Ah, oh, I'm going to push him to the side." I think he's going to get a lot of opportunity. I think Desmond Bain's usage is going to go up. I think John Conchar's usage is going to go up, and he is an interesting test. That's the heat check of this Grizzly system. You know, John Conchar has a pretty low usage rate, but pretty impressive shooting splits if you look at his numbers. He's, he's one of the lowest he's... usage
0: guys in the NBA. I'm, I'm pretty sure.
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. Even lower than Steven Adams, I believe, who is another low usage guy, yeah. obviously.
0: His usage was 9.9 last season. It's cuts. you look at the shooting low.
1: percentages, yeah. and I think they're projecting that if you take away DeAnthony Melton's heat-check shooting, mm. and you replace it with Conchar taking two more shots a game at that percentage, you could see sneaky three-pointers per game added with a late you know, draft pick at John Conchar, depending on how many teams are in a league. Um, I think Zaire Williams is the biggest guy. You know, Bain will probably take another re- leap, like I said. But in terms of productivity, in terms of opportunity, it's probably Zaire Williams.
0: Williams has not only the absence of Jaron Jackson to help. There's the absence of Kyle Anderson because he's complacent right. three, and there's the absence of De'Anthony Melton because they're trying him out as a one and a two. So he can get a ton more minutes. And Conchie is another guy who's probably going to get some extra minutes. But on the other side of the coin, Joe, who is a regression candidate on this team? <sighs>
1: hurts my heart to say this. I I think it could be Steven Adams. Um, Steven Adams fit exactly and still fits exactly what this Grizzlies team needs in terms of bringing a lot of what Jonas Valanciunas does well without the high usage offensively. Adams is a good rebounder. Adams is solid in drop coverage defensively. He had a career-defining year as a passer. He was remarkable as a passer last year. I don't know that he can sustain that. So I know, you know, whether it was rebounding and the elite level of offensive rebounding he did, whether it was the passing, I think he'll still be really good at those things. I just think I'm sure there's some people that won their fantasy leagues because they snuckily, you know, picked up Steven Adams and dominated uh, offensive rebounds and snuck over on assists because they got four a game from Steven Adams. I don't think he had ever done anything close to that in his career before what he did last year. No, never. So that's probably not sustainable. So the easy answer is John Morant. I'm not going to bet against John Morant. I've watched him enough at this point that, you know, him coming out and being a 30-point-per-game scorer would not surprise me. So I'm not going to say he's going to regress. I think that it's Steven Adams in terms of how good he was. I think he'll still be good, but he literally had a career year for this team I don't know that that's sustainable at this stage of his career.
0: Outside of uh, Danny Green, Stephen Adams is the oldest player on this team by three years 28 or 29. Yeah, Yeah, he just turned 29. And the next mm-hmm. oldest guy is like 26 and a half and that's Dylan Brooks. And then the yeah, daddy grades, of course, 35. He's, he's well past that, right. but yeah, he's not. He's gonna, the grandfather. He's not going to be playing. So he's just going to be sitting there smoking cigars and pipes in his slippers <laughs> on the bench. But yeah, Adams is that older guy. And we've already seen a lot of drop offs. His room protection numbers have dropped. He can't hit free throws anymore. Even his efficiency, just overall two point efficiency has dropped off and, and maybe there will be a little bit of more of that falling down. And, and much like you with Jar, I don't expect a regression from Jar. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he fell away somewhat because there was gigantic increases in his efficiency last season. I don't expect it, but it is it is a possibility. And here's the, the question I think all Grizzlies fans will be interested in, and they might have very different opinions on this one. Joe, is this team better than last season?
1: <sighs> it's a loaded question because I think there's multiple layers to it. Are they better than the 56-26 and two-seed of the 2021-2022 NBA season? No, they're not. Could you make the argument they were always going to be worse because they weren't supposed to be that good in the first place? Yes, I think you can. I think they were always going to regress. The Clippers are going to be better. Uh, you, you've got the Denver Nuggets getting healthy. You can't assume that John ja Morant's going to be healthy for 75 or 78 games and then say, oh, but, you know, Jamal Murray and MPJ, those guys, they're not going to play, right? Like Ja Morant has enough injury concerns at this point or that if you say one guy's going to be hurt, then, well, okay, yeah, well, Jaw will be too. Um, so you, that, that kind of wipes that out. I think Minnesota's going to be better. I, I know that people like to blast Rudy Gobert. In terms of regular season wins – The Timberwolves might be a top five team in the NBA. They might lose in the first round, but they might be a top five team in the NBA in terms of record. That wouldn't shock me. Um, I think that Memphis is better positioned to do what they want to do long term. I think these rookies fit what they want to do. I think they've enabled themselves to be able to re-sign Desmond Bain to a big contract, which is probably going to cost maybe even more than Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, At this stage, you're going to have three guys under the age of 25 that are on three uh, nine figure deals. All these guys will be making over a hundred million dollars. So I, I think that long-term, you know, Memphis has set themselves up well to be a contending team for the next decade. Are they better for this coming season? No, I, I don't know that you can realistically say that. I think that best case scenario, they're the three or four seed. And I think the four seeds fairly realistic for this team. That would be my expectation. I think the floor for them is seven, and that is if Jaron is gone until January, as you fear, and they're, they're flirting with the play-in, and, and they're in that mix. But progression is not always linear. You know, you'll hear yeah. that a lot when it comes to talking about the Grizzlies, and they very much are in that mind frame and that state of mind that they're going to do what they're going to do, regardless of what's happening around them in the NBA, to put themselves in a position to be competitive every year.
0: I think that's exactly right. I don't think they got better. It's hard to lose Melton and Anderson and replace them with two rookies at 19 and 23, realistically, and then have Jaron Jackson miss some time to begin the season and think, yeah, we're going to be better than what we were last season. So I think that's that's right. But you you have got to look at it and go, well, how do we realistically maintain success and improve in two years time or three years time or whatever. And those moves do allow that sort of thing to happen. So I think there's a definite step back in strength of roster that might mean different playoff finishes or regular, whatever. I just think overall they are worse this season, but long-term it does set them up into the future. Now I reckon I know the answer to what you're going to say to this question here before we have a bit of fun with some trivia. Who's the most likely player to be traded?
1: Most likely player to be traded? Probably Dylan Brooks. Yeah, uh, I think going back to what we talked about earlier, Steven Adams could be in that mix too. Anybody that's on an expiring contract for this team. Uh, say they're at the trade deadline and the season's gone terribly and they decide to tank. And I think that's very unlikely, but you could see them selling both Adams and Brooks. Uh, but you could also see them combining those two guys in a first-round pick or two and trying to go get somebody you know, that, that they think could make them a championship contender now. I could see that happening less likely because, again, they they seem very hell-bent on their timeline and their their frame of mind and and how they're going to build this franchise. But I think the answer is Dylan Brooks because of the expiring contract, because of how he fits long-term with Zaire Williams in the wings, Desmond Bain being that too. Zaire's not going to be able to play the four. Dylan Brooks maybe could do that, but he's not a good enough rebounder. He has a big enough frame that I think he could be a small ball for. But I, he, he's not a, enough of a rebounder. You can't have Jaron Jackson Jr. as your five and Dylan Brooks as your four. You're never going to get a rebound ever. And, and while I'm a subscriber to the team rebound philosophy, there's limits to it. And I think you'd be pushing it there. So it's probably Dylan Brooks, although that hurts my feelings a little bit, because I do think he's positioned to have a pretty strong season if things go well for the Grizzlies.
0: Well, let's get into some fun trivia questions. People who have watched a couple of my season preview shows already will know where some of these questions are headed. But there is a website called Basketball Index that runs a bunch of uh, advanced analytic numbers. And one of the things that I think is really interesting they do is these talent grades. It's not just your three-point shooting talent. Playmaking talent. It's not what your three-point percentage is. It's not what your assist percentage is. It's about you know the difficulty of shots, the openness of shots, yeah, the playmaking to get others open, all that sort of stuff. So just in, I want to see how it marries up with people covering the team. If I was to tell you who, ask you who, which I'm going to do, who has the best three-point shooting talent grade? Who's the best three-point shooter? The guy that you want the ball in his hands to hit a three under whatever circumstance, pull up, catch and shoot, whatever. If you need a three and however it's going to come, who's the guy that you want to be? taking that three. Who's the best three-point shooter on this team, basically? (laughs) I know
1: who it should be. It should be Desmond Bain. But again, with John Conchar's percentages, it might be out of whack a little bit, depending on usage.
0: It is Desmond Bain because okay, again that, that's one for one. that's part of it because it is like Conchard shot 44% from three or whatever but mm-hmm. they're wide open shots there's low volume he's not self-creating right. whereas Bain's doing all the difficult stuff he's creating he's making he's doing it with closely guarded he's doing it all
1: Why by three he's one of the best that I've ever seen of the pump fake and then making the three after the pump fake usually
0: they don't make those consistent. so that's that's exactly what these grades try and you know, take into consideration right. because again if you looked at the shooting percentages, actually Desmond Bain had a higher three-point percentage than John Conchar anyway, but a lot of the time you'll get these guys shooting .93's a game at 45%, where it's not really what they are as a shooter. And playmaking similarly, it's not just about can you Rajon Rondo your way to 11 assists per game? Are you someone who's getting guys open, who's creating gravity, who's opening up the offense through their own ability to find other players, find them in the right spots, potential assists that are there and they just miss the shot? So who is the guy that has the highest playmaking talent based on what happened last season? Who would have had that highest grade on this team?
1: Am I allowed to ask a question? Yep, go ahead. Take assist to turnover ratio into mind
0: um let me read the description of this uh of this grade they give play again this
1: should be john Morant, but if it was tyus jones depending on how they graded it, it wouldn't stun me.
0: it's analyzing their pl- their playmaking for teammates through their ratings in passing creation volume creation c- pass creation quality passing versatility passing efficiency and scoring gravity um measuring capability and volume. It is designed as a context neutral, enabling values more accurately capturing true playmaking talent and resulting in stability from year to year, even with players changing teams. So, I would I would lean towards telling you I wouldn't worry too much about the turnovers. Okay, then it's John Morant. It is obviously John Morant. Yes, it is. But Tyus <laughs> Jones is one I'm of. I'm
1: overthinking the... these a little. bit. Yeah,
0: he's one. Of the... That's that's what
1: happens. You think about John Conchar when Desmond Bain's on. Tyus, that's what
0: happens when you play too long. Tyus Jones and Monty Morris have got two of the best like assisted turnover ratios in NBA history mm-hmm. consistently, but. It's not that they're making the sort of passes that Jar is making like and opening yes. up everything for his team with gravity. Like people aren't Entire defense is collapsed. Yeah, like, man, we've really got to focus in on Tyus Jones here because he's going to pick us apart. Like, no, we need to really see what Jar is doing because he can open it up for everyone. He can score himself. True. He can get people into the right positions. And similarly, don't think this last one's finishing talent. Who's the best finisher at the rim? It's not, you know, Stephen Adams because he gets 60% through dunks. Like, it's about drives. It's Jar. Yeah, thank you very much. It is Ja Morant. So, hey, there you go. <laughs> Bang on. These talent grades, maybe? Three for three. Maybe they make it a little bit of sense. Now, this next one, if you get this one exactly, I'll be, I'm, I'm going to call into question some of the, uh, yeah, some rigged nature of this question. How many minutes did Ja Morant, Dylan Brooks, and Desmond Bain play together in the regular season?
1: Oh, this is like 15.
0: It's not, it's not quite... 15 to 20. It's not quite 50. It's actually 152 minutes, which is... Oh, dang. It's, it's not much. These guys... Look, not uh, Brooks. Oh, but, I'm thinking
1: about combining it with Jaren. That's the one that's in my
0: head. That's, that's I'm sure that's, that's pretty low as well. These guys barely played. That's like the equivalent of like five or right. seven games in total, really, for these guys playing together. And it, when they played, one of these players had a very, very low usage And it was not the guy that you would hope it to be. Desmond Bain had like an 18% usage in this time, whereas Morant was at 28 and Brooks was at 26. So when people, like, and you said it before, uh, I think Bain's going to have a big breakout. I really worry about what Dylan Brooks is going to do, how like um, out of control he's going to be playing in these lineups because Bain did so much of his damage without either Brooks or Morant there. And we've seen it over the two years in Bain's career that when those two guys are on the court with him, He, whether it's he takes a back seat or Dylan Brooks doesn't allow him to take a front seat, that his usage falls way off. And I'm a little bit worried that that might happen. Is there any hope that Dylan Brooks says, oh, actually, I'm not a very good shooter and I'm really inefficient and there are other guys here who should have the ball. Let me give it to them. Or is he going to do Dylan Brooks things?
1: I think it's a combination. He's going to do Dylan Brooks things. Uh, You know, he's a former Oregon duck. And if a duck is, you know, he quacks (laughs) like a duck, walks like a duck. he's He's a duck. Uh, but at the same time, I think that Taylor Jenkins is the head coach of the Grizzlies has shown a willingness to play with his rotations. I think you could very easily see either Desmond Bain be an early sub, and then he comes in and helps run the second unit, and that would help him with his usage against reserves. Or it could be the alternate, and Dylan Brooks is an early sub, and then it's Dylan Brooks in four reserves, and Dylan Brooks just goes and you know goes ham uh, on everyone as the 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 sixth man that he always you know many of us have always wanted him to be. But his uh, his psyche and his confidence maybe won't allow it at this stage, understandably. So he's been very he's been asked to be a lot for the Grizzlies for a long time now. So him expecting to be a lot for the Grizzlies is probably fair at this stage. I think that the way that the minutes can be con- distributed can weaken that a little bit. But at some point, Dylan Brooks is going to shoot the basketball because that's what he does.
0: Yeah, looking forward to Dylan Brooks playing with the bench unit for a 39% true shooting season (laughs) incoming when that happens. (laughs) I
1: didn't say it was going to go well. I just said that that might be a way that they try to do it.
0: Joe, thank you for coming on and chatting about the Memphis Grizzlies with me. Of course, tell people where they can find you over on the old Twitter and then uh, you'll be making your appearance on Locked on Grizzlies coming up really soon.
1: Yes, in the next few days, hopefully. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Mullinax. I'm very excited to be joining the Michael Cole, who writes for the Commercial Appeal there in Memphis. Uh, You know, he's the boots on the ground guy, the beat writer, following them every day. I'm the one that yells on Twitter. And, uh, you know, I write for the step back over at Fansided on the NBA side, always looking for more writing stuff. Uh, Grizzly Bear Blues is carrying on great without me, but I'm not quite done following the Grizzlies yet. So, I'm very excited for the chance to be joining the Locked On Network and work with great folks like you, Josh. And, you know, hopefully, you know,
0: next time you'll be on my show,
1: Locked On Grizzlies, our show, and and we can do a little uh, fantasy preview with the Grizzlies closer to the season.
0: Absolutely. I'll be, uh, I'm always up to do that. Joe, thanks for coming on. Go check out Locked On Grizzlies with DeMichael and with Joe and uh, follow him and DeMichael over on Twitter. Joe, thank you again for coming on.
1: Appreciate you, Josh. Thank you.
0: And that will do it for me today. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. If you are here on YouTube, thumb it up. Leave your comments down below, guys. We are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.